0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I used to have these neighbors, Ernest and Rita. They were a couple, older than me, around retirement age. And every morning, as I was getting the paper and making coffee, I'd see them. They'd be on their way back from a five-mile run. So how did you guys start running?
1: Well, I had been running all along. And Rita had been running all along,
0: too. This is Ernest. He says he and Rita actually met while running. This was way back, more than 30 years ago. They were both living in Brooklyn. And he'd see her headed out for her run, just as he was headed back. One day, he had a chance to talk to her.
1: And I said, well, you know, I run real early in the morning. If you need somebody to run with, I'd be more than happy to run with you. In the morning, I get out at 5.30. She said, that would be great. And since then, we've been doing just that.
0: (laughs) They've been running seven days a week for decades, which to me is kind of mind-blowing because they're a regular couple. Both of them work. They've raised two kids. They don't wear fancy workout clothes. They're not obsessive about times or personal records. They're running because they know it's good for them. How many marathons have you guys run?
1: Oh, I'd say countless. I can't remember the number, but I can remember I first started running the New York City Marathon back in nineteen seventy nine.
0: He guesses maybe they've run seven or eight.
1: You know, you stop counting.
0: You say you stop counting. I would count every single one. I'd be like another one down. I'd be like marking it off on the wall. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I am kind of in awe of this. Not the marathon thing so much, but the fact that somehow, apparently, pretty naturally they made running a habit. Most of us look at the overwhelming evidence that regular exercise will give us longer, better lives, and we just don't act on it. Ernest was on vacation when I called him the other day, but did you go running this morning? Yeah. I hear the way Ernest says that, like, obviously I ran, and I want to know, how can I do that? That's what today's show is about. We're going to help all of us make exercise a habit. And it's the start of the new year, so we're going to focus on your New Year's resolutions to exercise. I'm Mary Harris, and this is Only Human. This episode, we team up with behavioral scientist Dan Ariely. He's a best-selling author and TED Talk star who studies why we make bad decisions and how we can train ourselves to make better ones. He's starting a project to help you and me be more like Ernest and Rita. But before we get to that, a little bit about Dan Ariely. Because the story of how he wound up studying why we do what we do is unexpected. It begins years ago, with a terrible accident.
1: At some point, something just exploded.
0: This is how Dan Ariely remembers the moment that left him with burns covering most of his body.
1: And then I had to uh, run through the fire to get out of there. And actually, it's kind of shocking I could run because after that I I couldn't walk for a very long time.
0: He was a teenager in Israel, and he was just starting his military service.
1: So I was in 12th grade. And in Israel, there is this particular version of a military service uh, that you start early and you go to high school, but you belong to a kibbutz.
0: That first year of service was ending. And to mark it, there was supposed to be a big celebration with a kind of bonfire. Arieli was helping with setup. His commanders had gotten some magnesium flares, which were used by the military to light up battlefields at night. And magnesium burns bright and hot. So the idea was to break the flares apart and use the magnesium to make the fire more spectacular.
1: They tasked me with the task of uh, creating these little magnesium sparkles.
0: Hmm. But instead, suddenly, the magnesium exploded.
1: Here I was with a tremendous amount of uh, magnesium burning. It's a very, very bright, intense fire.
0: Ariely was burned all over his body, his face, his hands. He would spend almost three years in the hospital. What was your life like during that time?
1: So there were a few periods. Uh, the first period was basically um, emergency room. Right? So the first few months, um, there's no skin on 70% of my body. And, and of course, I have some very painful treatments.
0: The treatment he had to deal with most often in those early stages was bandage removal. Nurses would come and remove and replace the bandages that covered his burns
1: every day they would take me to a bath they would lower me into this bath with some iodine water uh, to sterilize uh, the wounds and then they would take the bandages off but of course because there's no skin the bandages adhere to the flesh and they had to tear them off every day yeah every day and and then putting a, a bandage the bandages back on top uh, and then to to repeat it the next day Uh, The only days I got a reprieve uh, were days that I had surgery.
0: That process of bandage removal is the thing that set Dan Ariely on a course of questioning the way we make decisions. See, the nurses preferred to rip the bandages off quickly, causing sharp pain. Ariely really didn't like that method. He begged them to go more slowly. But the nurses were sure that they were right. Right they believed that getting through it faster was better for him and ultimately less painful. A few years later, when Ariely was finally out of the hospital, he kept thinking about that experience. He decided to study how we perceive pain. And he found that the nurse's instincts had been wrong. Taking the bandages off more slowly would have hurt him less.
1: And this is actually, for me, was a really big lesson. You know, if you think about it, how many times... Even in a single day, we work based on our gut intuition. We feel, oh, this is the right thing, and we feel that this is the right thing. When we actually don't know, it's just gut intuition. And if our gut intuitions are wrong, maybe there's another approach to, to do things that is actually better.
0: For Arielli, the big point of his study is that we're fallible. We don't always know what's best. Not just those nurses, but all of us.
1: When you think about it as a mistake of the nurses... Uh, you say, are the nurses only people, the only people wrong? And are there many other ways that all of us might be wrong? And then you start looking at the world and you say, my goodness, we make lots of mistakes.
0: We make mistakes. And sometimes we make bad decisions even when we know better. This right here is the root of the New Year's resolution problem. Like, it's so clear that we should exercise regularly. But we don't. There's some research Ariely likes to reference done by a colleague of his named Ralph Keeney. Keeney studied how our own inability to resist self-destructive behavior can be deadly. He asked this question.
1: What is the percentage of human mortality that is either caused by or aided by bad decisions, right? How many times do we accelerate our death because we make bad decisions? And when you estimate this for about 100 years ago, it's less than 10%. Think about 100 years ago, how could you make a bad decision that would
0: kill you? You can do it, but not as easy. Now, it's more than 44%. Almost half of us die simply because of bad decision-making. How come,
1: as we invent new technologies, we also invent ways to kill ourselves, right? And, of course, uh, clear examples are smoking and diabetes and obesity and texting and driving and all of those things. And many of them, like obesity and diabetes, are not things that we make one decision that kills us, but it's a long sequence of decisions that basically... Every one of them creates just a small effect, but together they become very, very big. And this is actually a terrible, a terrible realization because if you think about it, these are all failures of self-control. Texting and driving, right? We all know that it's not a good idea. Nobody says, you know what? I thought about this texting and driving thing. I I think it's a good idea. I, I weigh the cost of how much I don't want to die and how much I don't want to kill other people and how important these text messages are. And then, yeah, it's a good choice. Nobody thinks this way. Everybody knows it's a stupid thing to do.
0: You're basically saying that now we have the luxury of making more decisions, but that means we have more opportunities to get it wrong.
1: We have lots of things that are tempting us as well, and we have more luxuries of making decisions. So think about something like the donut Imagine donuts 2.0, the next generation of the donut. Do you think it will be more tempting or less tempting? More. Yeah, certainly, right? The next generation of the iPhone, would it be more tempting or less tempting? It has to be more tempting. The next version of, of Facebook will be more tempting. The world around us basically wants our time, money, and attention right now. And because of that, we're flooded with these requests and decisions to to do things that are good for other entities and not always good for us. And because of that, we fail, and we fail a lot. So the challenges of self-control are really, really tough.
0: So what do we do when the world around us is constantly conspiring to steer us wrong? Can we learn to resist? Coming up, Dan Ariely's tricks for self-control, and how you can use your smartphone to stick with your exercise resolution right now. This is only human. In a minute, I'm going to continue my conversation with Dan, and he'll reveal how our resolution project is going to work. But if you can't wait, or if you're worried you'll put it off, you can go to our website now and sign up while you listen. Just head over to onlyhuman.org slash stick to it, and thanks. This is Only Human. I'm Mary Harris. Before the break, behavioral economist Dan Ariely was talking about how much damage we do to ourselves by making bad decisions. Ariely hasn't only thought about what makes us terrible decision makers. He's also thought about how we can train ourselves to be better at it. And he tries his techniques out on himself. You study our fallibility as decision makers. How does that affect the way you live your own life?
1: Yes. Uh, First of all, I'm I'm not fallible, so that's, no. Uh, (laughs) So I think the kind of three types of decisions. Uh, They are big decisions. Buying a house, getting married, having kids. And those decisions are decisions we have time to think about. And I think that knowing something about fallibility helps me with those. Uh, You move to a new house, you move to a new city, and you say, where do I want to live? Well, I know that people don't take commuting into account. Commuting is a grinding thing on people's happiness. So knowing that, I pick to live very close to the office. That's an example for big decisions. Hmm. Then there are small decisions, buying coffee, buying things that are called on discount, uh, signing up for something that looks like it's free, all kinds of small things. And those things, knowing a lot about decision-making doesn't help because these are not thoughtful decisions. But there's another category, which are things called habits. And habits are really about small decisions, but because those small decisions happen many, many times, they're actually significant and important.
0: And good habits, you can't create them on your own. The world around you is really important.
1: What is the environment that we're going to set up such that it supports good decisions? Um, So you can think about not having cookies at home, right, which is what I do. Uh, You could say, oh, you know what, I'll buy cookies and I'll have one cookie every fourth day. Not going to work out, right? So (laughs) so you can say, let me just not have cookies. You're crushing my dreams. Sorry about that. Hmm. Uh, You could say, let's have fresh fruit that is is not just around the house, but it's clean already. So all you need to do is to to take a bite, basically reducing the friction uh, of doing that. Um, But my rules are actually more more details.
0: Like his rules when it comes to exercise. A couple years ago, he and a friend got to talking. They both wanted to be in better shape, and they both knew they'd have a hard time keeping themselves accountable. So they wrote up a pact.
1: We created a very detailed contract, and our contract was that we have to exercise three times a week. We also had the rule that we eat dessert only on the weekend, uh, not during the week. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, uh, there's a punishment on a weekly basis.
0: What are the punishments? So
1: as my punishments, the two big ones I got was one time I had to have a Pilates class, which was which was <laughs>
0: <laughs> not into the Pilates, I guess.
1: No, no. And the other one I had was that I had to do like um, some green juice, also kind of painful.
0: Um, what strikes me, what strikes me, is that you are a person of great self control. You've gotten through three years of hospitalization, an incredible amount of pain. Even you need these structures.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually um I actually think I need it a bit more <laughs> than, than 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 most people.
0: That's because he travels so much. Dan tells a story about landing in Hong Kong after a long flight. It was early in the morning, a completely reasonable time to crawl into bed and get a little sleep, but he hadn't met his exercise quota yet. So he laced up his tennis shoes and went to the hotel gym instead. Remember Ernest and Rita? Well, just like they're packed to run together. That contract Dan Ariely has with his friend, it has power. Maybe you've made a promise like this to yourself for the new year, but you're worried that in a few weeks you'll find yourself asking, "Why did I fail at that simple resolution?" Why do we fail at them all the time? <laughs>
1: we don't fail all the time. You know, the first 2 days work really well. And uh, so so we fail for multiple reasons. One is that it's really tough. Another one is that we optimistically set resolutions that are too, too difficult. Another thing is something called the what-the-hell effect. The what-the-hell effect is the idea that once you fail, you basically are so disappointed that you fail, you think of yourself as a failure and you say, what the hell, I failed, I might as well uh, go the whole way, right? Imagine you're a dieter. You wake up in the morning, you have a very strict diet, and for some reason you eat a muffin. You say, ah, I'm not a dieter today. Let me have, a you know, a burger and fries and a shake tonight. I'll start tomorrow.
0: This time, it's going to be different. Dan's created a new experiment designed to help you stick with your resolution. And we're focusing on exercise. Why? Well, exercise
1: is to a large degree unpleasant for a long time. Uh, some people, by the way, tell me that after a while, if you exercise for long enough, you start enjoying it. I haven't uh, got to that point myself yet. But look... <laughs> life has lots of things in it it has uh, donuts and soup and tv and work and exercise is good in principle uh, but it's almost never the case that it's the best thing that you could do right now so because of that we we procrastinate and we don't we don't end up doing the things that we actually want to do and that's really the the goal of the project the goal of the project is not to tell people you need to do x y and z but to Ask people, you know, what are you trying to get to? And let's try and help you get to that level.
0: Here's how it's going to work. If you're making a resolution to exercise more, go to our website, onlyhuman.org, and sign up for the Stick To It project. You'll download an app to your smartphone that'll connect you directly with Dan Ariely's lab. Then type in when and how you want to exercise and answer a few questions about yourself. And until the end of February, the app will give you strategies to stay on track. You tell us your exercise goals and we'll help you meet them.
1: The goal is to get people who are interested in general in improving their health and exercise and try to create suggestions and recommendations and alerts and reminders to see whether by entering those little details of life and getting into people's mindset and memory, we can actually get people to not just pick a new year resolution, but stick to it.
0: So there are a lot of details we can't give about this, right? Like we can't tell you what all the groups are going to do
1: that's right we this is like a secret mission
0: (laughs) it's a secret because this study will randomly assign you different ways to stick with your resolution in the end that'll help us figure out which tactic worked best in two months dan arieli will come back on the show and reveal the winning strategy Go to onlyhuman.org now and sign up to be part of our experiment. When you download the app, you'll have the chance to win an Only Human water bottle. A little thank you from us for participating. One more thing, we're organizing a private online event at the end of the study, just for the folks who participated. You'll be able to ask Dan all your questions about what worked and what didn't. Only Human is a production of WNYC Studios. This episode was produced and edited by Elaine Chen and Molly Messick. Our team includes Amanda Aronchik, Paige Cowett, Kenny Malone, Fred Mogul, and Catherine Tam. Our technical director is Michael Raphael. Our executive producer is Lital Malad. Jim Schachter is the vice president for news at WNYC. And I'm Mary Harris. I'll be back with more next week.
1: Support for WNYC's health coverage and Only Human is provided by the Charina Endowment Fund, the Hearst Foundations, Jane and Gerald Catcher, the Iris and Junming Lee Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Simons Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, and the Winston Foundation.